Skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master <laughs> Marcus Zill. That's a fact. So we are here with Dr. Stephen Hine, a rare treat, a four-part series throughout the month of May as he joins us in the Student Union all the way from Monument, Colorado. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing well, Pastor Zill. Good to be with you. Well, it's uh, um, great to have you with us. You are uh, a longtime friend. You serve as a director of Concordia Institute for Christian Studies. You might not have thought of it as a privilege, but I've had the privilege of going with you on a couple of trips to... Sierra Leone in West Africa is a part of uh, pastoral education opportunities for um, many in our partner churches over there, and uh, just a gifted teacher. And it's great to have you in the student union. Now, you just have a you have a book out. Tell us about the book that uh, that people can access if they want to learn or hear a little bit more from you. Yes, you can find it on Amazon. It's called Christian Life Cross or Glory. And the purpose of the book uh, is to set forth kind of a minority viewpoint about uh, the dynamics of Christian life. And it seeks to translate Luther's theology of the cross, the foundations of the uh, Reformation in Wittenberg by Luther, into the various dimensions of uh, individual faith and life. And uh, kind of a minority view where we live in the cross of Christ now, but not glory yet, glory in the life to come. So commend that to readers. You can find that on Amazon and uh, hope that uh, the readers will find that book and profit from it. Christian life, cross and glory. Cross or glory. Cross or glory, yes. Excellent. That. Have to check that out. And today, the next four weeks, I'm really excited about this because uh, you can teach just about anything. And you're, you just, you seriously can. After many, many years of serving as a prof and doing seminars, and there's a little booklet uh, that I have always found incredibly helpful called uh, You Can Give an Answer, A Study in Christian Apologetics. And we are basically going to kind of give um, all of you listeners out there a taste of this over the next four weeks. It's kind of a a primer on apologetics. How did you come about uh, kind of coming up with this thing that we're going to kind of walk through the, the basic tenets together? How did you come up with this? Well, I've been privileged um, in my teaching career, uh, which goes back to Concordia, uh, Chicago, of teaching Christian apologetics. It's an element that was a major focus in much of my graduate work, and I have a real burden of seeking to uh, equip Christians not only to 
be able to witness to the faith that they believe, but also uh, to be able to provide reasons and evidences why the non-Christian ought to consider the Christian faith seriously, simply because they recognize a need for a savior, but because they come to recognize that the gospel is true. Christian apologetics is particularly working with the foundations of faith, namely how it is that the uh, scriptures uh, present the truthfulness of the Christian faith and how we can defend that in our world today. And so that's where we're going to kind of start by exploring today, just kind of today's program, really focusing on just an introduction. What is apologetics? As you know, over the years, the last 30, 40 years, sometimes apologetics gets a bad name. Some people think you're trying to argue people in the faith. What What is apologetics? Uh, apologetics uh, comes from a word. Uh, the Greek word is the word apologia that is found uh, in 1 Peter uh, 3.15. Uh, in our English translations, uh, Peter exhorts uh, Christians to always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within us when called upon to do so. That word in English, defense, uh, is, the, uh, is the Greek word apologia, which means, uh, from which we get the word apologetics. Apologetics is the study about how to make an able defense for the truth that is within us when called upon to do so. In this sense, apologetics uh, has to do with defending the truthfulness of the gospel, and we can see it as uh, an auxiliary task which goes along with evangelism. Evangelism involves proclaiming and explaining the gospel message uh, to people, and apologetics deals with defending the truthfulness of that gospel when objections or challenges are raised. Uh, it involves what we might call removing intellectual obstacles that may preclude uh, non-Christians giving a serious consideration to the faith. And on the positive side, apologetics seeks to confront the, the unbeliever with compelling reasons and evidences that ground or support the truthfulness of the Christian faith. And it helps, of course, to shore up for believers um, um, a confidence that we have that, um, that our faith is grounded in fact and it is not grounded in, um, in superstition or fable. Well, and, you know, that's a big thing. You've spent a lot of your career in your life working with young people, either at college, the high school level. Uh, in fact, you're still teaching some classes online here or there. Uh, how, why is this so important, such an important topic for our young people as they head off to our you know, typical state university? Well, I think most of our young people and certainly those that you deal with all the time in connection with campus ministry uh, throughout our, our country and our church body, everyone recognizes that the Christian worldview certainly does not hold sway uh, at secular university today. Not only does it not hold sway, but uh, so often there is uh, <clears throat> Uh, there is in what we would call the marketplace of ideas today there, uh, hostile 
relationship to the Christian faith, and often the belief that it isn't worthy of serious consideration uh, simply because uh, people who use their heads and uh, wish to operate on the basis of sound reasoning and evidence simply could never consider it to be true. We want to arm Christians first and foremost, our students on our campuses, to have a faith that is confident, that um, we need to understand that before you can make a case to the unbeliever about the Christian faith, you must first make it for yourself. Hmm. And so one of the goals that I think uh, that apologetics can have uh, for our uh, Christians, for our people on the secular campus, is to give them uh, a confident faith and to have them able to deal with the reasoned arguments of unbelief that they find in that environment. Very, very well put. And, of, of course, you know, you kind of get down to this whole relationship uh, between evidence and faith. People on campus will say, oh, well, we have truth, we have science, we have, we have knowledge, you have faith. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the relationship between evidence and faith. It is commonly often thought that, um, uh, that you have faith when somehow um, you don't have any real sound reason or evidence for holding certain things as being true. In other words, as if there is a great gulf between the realm of what we call faith and the realm of what we call fact. And while many religions might well reflect that kind of a distinction, the Christian faith is not one of them. With the Christian faith, we understand faith as founded on fact, not faith that is somehow absenting or contrary to fact. So when we talk about faith, we are talking about a believing and a trusting in the one that we have come to know, namely our Lord Jesus Christ, and the facts that surround who he is, what he has done, and how it is that uh, he saves sinners through his life, death, and resurrection. If we think in terms of how the scriptures set it forth, uh, the writer to the Hebrews wants to talk about faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For the Christian faith and for the gospel, we are talking about uh, a conviction that is based on the facticity of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and our salvation, as that is rooted in the historical witness of what he, in fact, carried out, what he did and said in human history. So there really, there really is no... And sometimes people, uh, I, I, I've mentioned to them this before, the question has come up, you know, will we have faith in heaven? Faith is for the here and now, but that just having faith in the faith is of the assurance of things, as you mentioned, that uh, that are not seen. But not being seen doesn't mean it's not true, right? Correct. Uh, when we say things not seen, we need to understand this. The Christian faith does not simply involve our life that has been lived of yesterday, it doesn't even involve uh, completely today, but involves also our future. 
In other words, it involves promises and assurances of things that we believe are to come. We are talking, therefore, about why it is that somehow we ought to believe that death has been overcome for us and that we have the possibility, indeed the promise of a happy forever, on the basis of what Jesus has done and said in the past. In other words, faith is a trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that he has made to us Hmm. that give us a happy forever. They are the direct consequence of what has been discovered uh, about our Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose of his life, death, and resurrection. So uh, let's talk a little bit. It's Easter season here. A couple, three weeks ago, whatever it was, many of us had the... uh, the great passage, the, the the Doubting Thomas passage in John 20 when Jesus appears to the disciples. You know, T- Thomas seemed to be one of the skeptics, right? Uh, kind of one of the, or at least he appeared at first to be an original skeptic. The other 11 had seen, had seen Jesus, but Thomas hadn't. How does that tie into all of this? I think that's extremely important. Um, we, if we think in terms of that section there in John 20, We often refer to uh, Thomas as doubting Thomas, but Thomas was really not a doubter. He just flat disbelieved um, uh, at that particular point in time. What is important for us, though, is to understand that Thomas is a skeptic Mm -hmm. at this point. And And we need to understand what a skeptic is. A skeptic is someone who either believes something or disbelieves something, not because of the weight of evidence, but in spite of it. Wow. And this is exactly where Thomas was. Thomas had corroborated eyewitness testimony from 10 of his best friends, and then even more, that they had seen the risen Jesus Christ. And yet Thomas would not believe because of that overwhelming corroborated eyewitness testimony, but continued with his disbelief. It is in that sense that we call him a skeptic. Everyone can be a skeptic, but we need to understand one thing about Thomas before the Lord's appearance and something about skeptics even today. Skeptics are those who believe contrary to reason and evidence, not on the basis of it. The second thing that I think is important, because sometimes we misunderstand our Lord's words. When uh, the Lord appears to Thomas and Thomas uh, uh, carries out his inspection, including uh, not only seeing but feeling the sword print and the nail print, and he comes to his confession, my Lord and my God, Jesus responds to him, Thomas, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And many uh, somehow think that what Jesus is saying is that, well, Thomas, you had evidence upon which to base your faith. Blessed are those who believe without any evidence at all. And that isn't at all what our Lord is saying. He is rather saying, Thomas, you have seen and believed In other words, you have required even more than what is sufficient, compelling, and evidence. Blessed are those who believe the eyewitness testimony 
uh, of the apostles, because that is going to be the basis throughout history upon which all, including ourselves here uh, today, are to believe in the facticity of the resurrection. In other words, to rest our faith in the sufficiency of the evidences that our Lord has provided, namely the eyewitness testimony, uh, without necessarily having the direct evidence or the direct overwhelming evidence that Thomas himself received. So we have about five minutes here um, or so left. We shouldn't be afraid of people inspecting the truth claims of Christianity, right? By no means. Uh, But I think one of the things for our own people to take into account, first for themselves, and then gently to help non-Christians understand, and that is the wise person apportions his judgments on the basis of the weight of evidence, not against it. And what we are seeking Hmm. to make the claim is that there is more evidence in behalf of the Christian truth claim than against it. We are not attempting to provide what we might call as objective certainty, for there are very few things, almost nothing, that is tied to experience upon which you can have direct uh, objective uh, um, certainty. Mm -hmm. Court systems are founded on the basis that we... um, We come to verdicts in relationship to people who are accused of crimes, not on the basis of absolute certainty, but on the basis of the weight of evidence, on the basis of being, in terms of those convicted, not beyond all doubts, but beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's what we are seeking to provide in relationship to the claims of Christ, and the evidence that he provides that support those claims concerning his identity, his work, and its significance for us. What would you say to those that would suggest that, well, apologetics, isn't that, isn't that arguing people, trying to argue people into the faith rather than just letting the word do its work? How would you respond to that? Well, I would want to say, first of all, that uh, in, in terms of letting the word do its work, The word, uh, as we will see perhaps uh, in some future sessions, very much is a word which which seeks to make a defense for the faith on the basis of providing that kind of information uh, which is to dispel contrary viewpoints. Arguing, and I and I think this is one of the things very important for young people to understand. There is a difference between arguing and fighting. Okay, when people can't argue, they usually fight. Fight, re, fighting relates to somehow attacking somebody else. Um, arguing, however, is a dialogue. The purpose of which is for all parties to discover or to have a better understanding of where truth is. And that's used in a court system, too. We speak of oral arguments. Exactly. Exactly. Arguments are setting forth reasons or evidences as to why someone ought to believe something to be true. Mm -hmm. That's what an argument is. And the wise person apportions their judgments, particularly in very important things, 
on the basis of those kinds of considerations. And that is exactly what Jesus and the New Testament writers seek to do also in their witness concerning Jesus Christ that we find in the New Testament. And of course, in giving that witness in terms of presenting presenting um, the evidence from Scripture, God is working through that word that you're using in terms of the evidence you're providing the skeptic, and we'll work through that, right? Exactly. And if we wanted to think of the best example of that, think in terms of the reasons and evidences that our Lord provided for them to come to the proper conclusion as to why the tomb was empty that early Easter morning. It is exactly God who has decided that was on the basis of eyewitness contact, indeed multi-sensual contact. They not only saw Jesus, they handled him. They talked with him and ate with him. These are those kinds of evidences that God saw fit uh, to provide not only a basis for them to believe, but for a basis for us as well. Uh, apologetics is not for the purpose of dreaming up our own arguments uh, or our own case for Christ. What we are simply seeking to relate uh, is the evidence and the arguments that God himself has provided, not only for the New Testament apostles, but for us also to use today. Excellent. Well, that is a great overview as we get started on this task. Next week, we're going to take a look. We're going to kind of start observing some apologetics as we walk our way through some uh, key scripture passages in the New Testament. Um, Again, uh, Dr. Stephen Hine is the author of Christian Life, Cross or Glory. You can find that at Amazon.com. Serves as the director of Concordia Institute for Christian Studies. We just got a couple minutes left here real quick this might be a good place to tell everybody about what we what we've been doing what you've been doing really leading the pack in terms of what the teaching that takes place for pastors in west africa yeah this has been a labor of love that um uh, that i and a uh, staff of pastors here in the lcms have been privileged to do in terms of providing advanced uh pastoral education to the leadership of Lutheran churches that have been established through our own missionary efforts in English-speaking West Africa. Uh, One of those countries, very central to that, is in Sierra Leone, and we currently are about a project of helping uh, missionaries uh, there in West Africa to establish a actually a seminary in seminary and we are seeking to provide that kind of instruction that would uh, equip a faculty to teach the curriculum uh, because they have a tremendous pastoral shortage and that seminary would be such a blessing. How many trips have you made now in the last decade or so? About 12 so far I wow. think. Some- Somewhere around that number. I'll be uh, heading there uh, the end of May for our next session, and we're excited about it. Now, this is uh, fantastic. And when we, this whole uh, project, uh, Pastoral Education West Africa, kind of began when a former missionary had been pulled out. There was Civil War, post Civil War era, very, very rough in Sierra Leone, very fourth world. Um, we had to pull our missionaries out, and then the cries started coming from those that he had taught. Um, exactly. And, yeah. and we, you, along with Pastor Phil Grovenstein, 
uh, helped answer the call and and now it's a, it's a real blessing that after uh, all those 10, 11, 12 trips, we now have a missionary that has finally returned that we can work in conjunction with. And that is Reverend Doug, Doug Thompson, who is there on the ground. This is just tremendous. It is just fabulous. What an answer to prayer. Anyways, well, thank you. I just wanted to give you a chance to talk through that, and I'll make sure I have a link of how people can learn more in the archive uh, next week again we'll take a look at uh, observing apologetics in the new testament thanks for being with us steve thank you so much time for here today check out lcmsu.org and remember college is tough you need jesus we'll help you've been listening to the student union produced by the lutheran church missouri senate office of national mission in cooperation with worldwide kfuo the official broadcast ministry of the lcms your support is vital for this program to continue To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting the Student Union.